Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are talking about um, verified memory management right now in the podcast. And today, I wanted to talk about the Rust programming language. And uh, this is a language that probably is on your radar if you're interested in programming languages and uh, in industry. And it's also on the radar of people in academia, too, who are uh, studying features of the language. And so um, Rust uh, has a pretty awesome approach. I mean, basically, Rust is kind of doing what I was hoping we could do when talking about verified memory management. Um, It is giving, uh, it's not giving you manual memory management exactly, but it's giving you automatic memory management without reference counting, although reference counting is available if you want to use it, and without a garbage collector. And so it's doing, basically it's doing static tracking of your memory. So at compile time, there's a particular discipline that's followed, um, that's implemented by, by the, well, they don't call that part the type checker, they call it a borrow checker. Um, so that's a separate analysis, I, as I understand, from type checking your Rust program. So it's, the idea is Rust is supposed to be a program for sort of low-level sorry, a programming language for low-level systems. They would call it systems programming. I'm sort of embarrassed to say. I'm not exactly sure what is meant by that. I think it's just meant that we can write efficient code with sort of low-level access to memory and how data is laid out uh, in memory. Have it find, you know, control, enough control over this to get, you know, really performant code. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so the goal is to have this kind of language, but to ensure, without using garbage collection, to ensure memory safety so that you can't have memory errors like use after free and this kind of thing. And so and Rust is just an awesome um, example of ideas that were developed in, in academia percolating out into industry. And even sort of more satisfying than that, I guess, it's not just sort of like, oh, you know, the great... Brainiacs in academia thought up all these amazing ideas, and then these guys took them over. And it's far from that. It's really far from that. Um, the, as far as I see the story, and there's, it's a pretty, it looks like a pretty rich world to get into further. Um, you know, there are a lot of important research ideas that were adopted by Rust, but Rust put its own spin on them and took took things in particular directions to solve, a, a, you know, real world programming problems. And they did this very effectively. So there, it's not just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, these whiz kid professors and researchers thought of these awesome ideas. And then, no, it's like, yes, these ideas were there, but um, how do we develop them? I mean, it's kind of like saying, oh, you know, we could go to architecture school and, and study arches or something. But how am I going to make, you know, the Arc de Triomphe or, you know, whatever? Some, how am I going to create some incredible architectural wonder? It's not just a matter of understanding sort of like theories of civil engineering. It's kind of like, how do I put those into practice and solve the problems, the real problems that come up when I'm trying to do that? And so Rust does see it. I haven't programmed a line of Rust. Um, but from what I'm seeing, it looks like totally, um, really quite satisfying about this in, in, in its approach. So the Rust, uh, at compile time, Rust is going to basically track how values flow through your program. And it has, it's trying to enforce that you don't have aliased mutable state. Um, 
Awesome. That's great. What a great idea. No alias mutable state. As a functional programmer, I, as a pure functional programmer, I say, yeah, and go one step further and just don't have any mutable state. <laughs> but of course, I understand that is not appropriate for all uh, application areas, you know, domains. So um, they do have mutation in Rust. It's meant to be sort of like at the where you might have written a program in C++, instead you could try writing it in Rust and you'd have the benefit that you wouldn't um, have to worry about memory errors because Rust at compile time is going to check that your code is um, passing values around in a way that satisfies this particular discipline that is guaranteed to make sure your, your memory is used safely. And so basically, um, it's as I, I'm going to try to summarize my baby knowledge of Rust that I've gotten just by reading stuff. Um, you know, you if, if you have a reference, like a variable, like an input to a function or a local variable or something, then it owns the value that it's referring to. And you can, an ownership can move from one reference to another. Like if I say X equals something and then say Y equals X, now Y owns the thing that X used to own. So we sort of track how things are owned, like who owns what through the uh, chunk of code, like a particular function, or I don't know if that's, call it something different in wrestling go like a method i have no idea um and uh when you call a function you know the i guess by default the ownership is going to flow into the function and so the function is going to take ownership of the arguments the the values that you pass in um and this would be uh you know too limiting a way of programming because sometimes you want to pass something into a function, have it do something with it, like make some mutations to it, but then you want to return ownership to the surrounding code. And you could do that by just passing the value back, but this would lead to a fairly painful style of programming where every time you had a function that wanted to mutate something, you'd have to take that reference in, make its change, and then pass the reference back out as another output. Nobody wants to write that kind of code. Um, I mean, honestly, to be honest, it doesn't sound so unbearably horrible to me, but we can definitely do better. And so Rust has a notion that the, a function can borrow a reference, like it could use it for, a while, for its work, and when it's done, automatically ownership returns to the calling context. Um, and so I guess in Rust terminology, it's called borrowing. Um, and so they have some syntax for these different kinds of references. It seems pretty lightweight and pretty sensible. Um, they have to make sure that, you know, so basically you can't, you know, you can't leak references out of things so that the tracking the references has to be done, you know, pretty strictly. And in fact, so strictly that, uh, and apparently one of the main motivations here is not just memory safety, but also things like preventing data races. So we don't want to have mutable, um, we don't want to have two references trying to mutate uh, the same value, so we're not allowing aliasing of mutable, uh, we can't have alias, um, aliasing for mutable references. So two different references cannot both refer to the same value in a way where they're allowed to mutate it. Rust does let you do this where they're not allowed to mutate. Um, if it's just sort of read-only, um, apparently there's, this is supported. But some idioms, I mean, many programming idioms at a systems level do actually depend on controlled use of mutable state. And this is where, and, and reading both industrial stuff and academic stuff, this is where one of the Rust's really good ideas of kind of like how to bring 
these um, academic ideas and make them really useful is the idea that you could mark some code as unsafe. And then you're just saying, you the programmer are saying basically, I'm going to take responsibility for the correct use of um, you know, data structures, alias mutable data structures, let's say, in, in this piece of code. It's, going to be my, it's not going to be the compiler's job to make sure nothing's getting screwed up. I, the programmer, will take care of it here. And so then the idea is that what's supposed to happen is that you're supposed to, um, you know, a small number of libraries or whatever, or, you know, functions in libraries can be responsible for implementing things that do require some form of alias mutable state, like, you know, buffers that like for buffering data between one um, thread or process or something or another. Um, this kind of thing can be done with unsafe code, but put, you know, an interface can be erected around it, which is believed and hoped by the library writer to be sufficient to ensure that the you don't have memory errors. If that's, you know, if that belief is wrong, then things can go south. But um, you could have you could have memory errors. But um, and there's an academic paper that if you're like a graduate student in programming languages or something, I'm sure you've seen, which is called Rust Belt by um, Derek Dreyer, um, who's a well-known um, programming languages researcher. And there they do, uh, um, they in, Calk, in the Calk Theorem Prover, they set up this, what to me is a you know, quick look, um, pretty elaborate and sophisticated setup for reasoning, both for proving um, correctness of um, the Rust system. Okay, now I'm a little unsure what theorem exactly was proved, but um, they proved some. I proved some correctness theorem about some formalization of you know a, a, the critical part of the Rust language, and they also actually verify some of these um, you know well known and hot, you know used library modules that are using unsafe code. They actually reason about them in their their logic to prove something that the Rust borrow checker, for example, cannot check, right? That's marked unsafe because the borrow checker can't see that this is that this code is working in a memory safe way. But you can, with the help of a powerful theorem prover and powerful um, abstractions set up in that theorem prover for reasoning, basically they're using something called separation logic, which is designed to make it easier, or they're using some form or related language to separation logic, that's designed to make it easier to reason about um, about a heap with mutable state in it. And um, so they can use this logic to prove that these modules actually are sound. Uh, so this this definitely, I mean, that particular project, but Rust in general, um, is definitely uh, an instance of achieving this kind of like verified, well, I guess here we're, we're saying, you know, it's not exactly verified memory management because you, the programmer, don't manage memory at all. It's just that, um, the way if you follow the Rust discipline for ownership um, and borrowing and all this kind of business, then Rust knows when it's safe to collect your stuff, and it can do so without a garbage collection algorithm that has to look for um, garbage to collect. It just knows. Well, at this point, this value um, is no longer referenced. Its owning reference has gone out of scope, and so we it knows. Rust, the Rust compiler knows we can collect this memory at this point. Um, so it achieves, um, you know, verified, mem verified memory safety without a garbage collector. That would have been sort of like another, <laughs> I think I still like the idea of like verified memory management. 
this is, I, I, you could see this, I suppose, as a form of verified memory management because where the memory management, the user basically doesn't have to do anything except adhere to this ownership discipline. And then we get correct memory usage without a garbage collector. So, yeah, I guess, I guess when I said verified memory management, you could say, well, if I just set a regular old language of the garbage collector, I'm right? Am I not, isn't that verified memory management? I mean, I'm guaranteed it's going to work. I, I, that's not quite, <laughs> that's out of my scope. I want to say um, there needs to be some kind of analysis or whatever that makes sure, basically it should be that you do the memory management with no garbage collector and it's still memory safe. Um, and Rust achieves that. So um, I think that's like really amazing achievement. The only twist I would personally like to see and understand more about is um, what happens if we try to do this in the setting of pure functional programming? You'd say, uh, but why would we want to do that again, boss? <laughs> Come on, pure functional programming is amazing. I never used to believe in it, but I'm a completely sold now. And yeah, okay, maybe I don't want to write um, systems stuff in such a setting, but for lots and lots of everyday programming, I'd be really happy to write pure functional code. I am really happy to write pure functional code, and many other people are too. Um, but could we get rid of garbage collection in the setting of pure functional programming, possibly using some similar ideas to Rust? I don't know. What if we're, I, again, the thing that's nagging in my mind is, what if you were willing to say, all right, I want to do something that works right out of the box with no programmer hassle most of the time, but in those nasty parts where it kind of doesn't work, then let's go to something more like theorem proving or dependently type programming. Could that get us over the hump? Anyway, thank you very much for listening. And I hope you're well wherever you are. It is a pretty nice, sunny, um, early July day here in Iowa. And uh, yeah, drop me a line uh, if you have any th thoughts, comments, and I hope you're well. <laughs>